Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and welcome to this show. We've already started today with a few little technical glitches, so if you've heard a big pause before the music started and thought, oh no, what's wrong? I'm glad we finally got connected and everything is going right at this point. Today we're going to be talking about a topic that I love. I've gotten so many emails in the last few weeks and had so many heartfelt conversations with speech-language pathologists and other therapists uh, at conferences and about conferences that they've attended or are trying to register for on the phone. And so that's really inspired today's show. And then actually the next few weeks of shows, we're going to start a new series today. But before we get to that, let's do announcements let me tell you where I'm going to be, and I am so excited about uh, this upcoming fall with TeachMeToTalk.com conferences. We are doing Building Verbal Imitation Skills in Toddlers, just a one-day, fast-paced uh, conference. The course is based on techniques to really get explicit communication going in toddlers who are late talkers, and it really doesn't matter what the diagnosis is. This kind of approach zones in what the missing skill is, and more often than not, it's the ability to imitate. So I hope that you'll join me for that fantastic course. I'm going to be in Evansville on Thursday, September 18th. Now, there's a location change. If you live in southern Illinois or Indiana or Kentucky, and I've gotten a mailer about that, we are now at a different location. We're going to be at the Hilton Garden Inn in Evansville. And just know that's not our doing. That was the the hotel who moved us from our original location. So be sure that you're checking uh, conference information at teachmetotalk.com to be sure you are in the right place. Um, and it's right around the corner. Even if you mess that up, you'll, you'll be okay. And there are going to be signs and staff is uh, supposed to be really, really helpful about making sure that everybody knows about that change, the hotel staff there. So Thursday, September 18th in Evansville. Then on Friday, the next week, <laughs> September 26th, I'll be back in New Orleans, one of my favorite places in the whole world. We'll be at the Sheraton Metairie, and I'm excited about seeing uh, therapists that I've met in 2010, 2011, and 2013 in Louisiana. I'm getting emails from, and it feels like old friends to hear from people that I've met, and I remember, I remember their stories and their questions. So that's so exciting. I can't wait to go back there. October is so busy. Living in Fort Wayne, Indiana, Akron, Ohio, which is a completely new city for me. So, northern part of the state. I've been to Columbus a couple of times, done some uh, courses in Cincinnati. So it'll be exciting to get a little further north. Um, and so I'm, I'm really thrilled about that. And then we'll be back in Texas, in San Marcos, so Central Texas, Austin, San Antonio. All of that corridor, I hope that you'll come see me. And you can check teachmetotalk.com for this and registration information. Let me also mention that I'll be back in Chicago in November to teach the two-day course, and that's November 20th and 21st. That's a Thursday and Friday. That course does have Illinois Early Intervention Credit pre-approved, so a no-hassle day or a couple of days 
So for registration information, again, you can check out that at teachmetotalk.com. I forgot to mention for Evansville, man, I have gotten that, accord, that date approved by everybody. <laughs> we have uh, Illinois Early Intervention Credit for the conference in Evansville, and I know a lot of therapists from Southern Illinois are joining us in Evansville that day. And it's also approved for Kentucky First Steps Credit. So if you're one of my Kentucky friends, I'd love to see you there in Evansville on Thursday, September 18th. All right, second announcement, Therapy Tip of the Week. The last several uh, episodes, segments, have been about ideas with the blocks. Today we are releasing the fourth video in that series about blocks, and it's with an oldie but a goodie. And if you've listened to the show for a while, you've heard me talk about those Tupperware blocks that, oh, are about, you know, 250 years old by now. I'm just kind of kidding about that. They've been around for a long, long time. And there's so many ideas that you can do with these. And again, this isn't a toy that you can find off the shelf right now, but you may have some at, in your mama's attic. If you are <laughs> 25 or so, you may have played with that toy even as a child yourself. So super ideas with that. Can't wait for you to see it. And let me just mention, teachmetotalk.com has a YouTube channel. And all of our videos are posted not only at teachmetotalk.com, but also on that YouTube channel. And if you will subscribe to our channel, you'll get a notification every single time we post a new Therapy Tip of the Week, and you will never, ever, ever miss one again. All right, moving right along to today's show. I think fall is the perfect time for a reset or a boost or just a, a period of getting your energy back together, re-energizing, refocusing, and I think it has to do with back to school. Don't you always feel like that? Do you remember when you were in school as a young child or in high school or even back in college or grad school? The fall was a time of year when you could regroup, when you were forming new habits or revisiting things that you you did in the past that made you successful or maybe changing things and looking at things differently and deciding, hey, I'm going to do some things I know work or I'm going to try something completely different than what I've done before. And I think fall, even more so than the beginning of the year, is just the very best time of the year to assess what you've been doing, to decide what works for you, what doesn't work for you, and certainly to get some new habits in place. And again, I've really gotten inspired to talk about this based on the emails that I've gotten in the last couple of weeks from therapists. And I just love when things come together like this. Have you noticed it in your life when all of a sudden you just get so many messages on the same topic? And I've had just dozens of people say to me in person or via email or on the phone how much they enjoy the podcast and maybe how the podcast completely changed their perspective of what working with toddlers is all about or how the podcast made them fall in love with their job when they had gotten a little bit burned out. Or maybe they worked with a different population and had, for one reason or another, landed in early intervention and didn't really know what they were doing, but found TeachMeToTalk.com, found the podcast, and got some reassurance that things would be okay and that they could get on the right track and that this is a fantastic 
way to spend your professional career working with toddlers and their families. And so if you've been one of those people who have emailed me, I want to start naming names, but I don't want to leave anybody out. Let me mention Meredith. Let me mention Catherine. Uh, let me mention a great conversation I had on the phone with Camille. All of you, those emails meant so much to me and telling me your different stories and how the show really has impacted your professional career. And let me just say, I so, 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 so appreciate that. And that's the reason that I continue to do the show uh, week after week after week. And so hearing those emails or hearing those conversations and reading those emails really, in a way, did the same thing for me. It re-energized my commitment to the show and my belief that when we focus on something and when we want something to change and when we feel a little bit uncomfortable and think, man, there's got to be a better way, there is. There's always a different way of looking at things or a way of pulling yourself back or of telling yourself, hey, I know what I know and this is the right thing for me to do. So that's what we're going to do over this next few weeks is really have a boost for the fall. And I'm going to talk about kind of go back to the very basics, the very beginning, and boil it all down with what really works to help a late talker move toward communicating and move toward being more verbal. Now, the show, if you want to see a written version of this, or you're an SLP and, or a kind of therapist, and you would like a written summary of the show, I have the link posted right there, and it's based on an article I wrote in 2008, What Strategies That Help Toddlers Learn How to Talk. So again, with like every other thing we do on this show, we take the post and take the recommendations here, this list of 10 important points, and discuss it over the next couple of weeks. But you can always print this article and share it with parents and share it with other therapists that you're mentoring. Or read it yourself when you need a little boost, when you need a little reminder. I know therapists who say that they listen to the show in the car as they're driving between appointments, and they've taken notes or made themselves notes or printed the summary of an article or a show so that they can remind themselves of that. And again, let me just say, that's how every single book <laughs> that I've written since 2008 developed, it all started as a handout or a, note, a, a set of notes on a piece of notebook paper with things that I needed to remember to make myself a better clinician, a better, better therapist as I worked with kids. And so, again, if you need that, that visual reminder, go ahead. That's what this whole website is about. All right, so let's talk about I know in my heart of hearts and based on my 20-year career, 20-plus years, what works to help toddlers learn to be more verbal. And again, it's simpler than sometimes we try to make it, make it be. Now, I'm not saying that this job isn't, doesn't require a certain set of skills because believe me, it does. There are some people who were born for this job who have such good instincts with young children that you just needed the science to get in there and make yourself better so that you could write better goals and, and, and apply principles that we know help children learn 
develop communication skills, but honestly, you probably would have been okay on your own, even without all of your professional knowledge, because your instincts are so, so, so good. And if that's you, again, sometimes these little strategies, if you can just tweak a little bit, it will make you completely better. There are certainly some people who are in early intervention who, again, have floundered a little bit and who have ended up here kind of through a set of circumstances, perhaps they didn't choose this as their first area of specialty and you might be struggling a little bit and you might you might really need for the ideas and the strategies and the techniques and the approach to be summarized in a way that makes it a lot easier for you to feel comfortable and easier for you to feel like I can do this job and I can be successful and I can be confident. And so, again, you don't need to make it harder than it really has to be. And so these 10 things that we're going to talk about are really at the core. And I have entire books written on (laughs) one or two of these items alone. So it's not really something that we can completely and thoroughly and comprehensively discuss in an hour, but boy, am I going to try. And again, it's probably going to take more than a week or two that we get all of these things in. But I do want you to revisit some of these things so that you can be your absolute best. And if you, again, if you're a therapist, I'm talking to you about all of the children on your caseloads. And if you're a mom, You only care about one kid, yours, and these same strategies will work for you. And even if you are not trained as a therapist or don't have a background in early childhood education at all, you're just a mom who loves your baby and wants to hear him or her talk, hey, you can do this stuff too. Again, it's not so complicated that uh, a committed mom can't spend some time listening Spend some time reading, spend some time watching how therapy should look and watching how interactions um, can be effective with young children and then make real, lasting, effective changes in your own baby. So again, if that's you, if you're a mom and you're listening right now, then this show is for you. So let's talk about what we can do. Let's talk about what these strategies are to help late talkers learn to communicate. First and foremost, and if you've heard me say this before, I'm glad you're hearing it again because it is just the cornerstone of effective interaction with toddlers. We have to play, 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 and when you're tired of all that, guess what? You need to play some more. (laughs) You have absolutely got to make play the corner piece, the foundation, the, the no matter what else, you do, what else you apply, what special techniques you learn, or even if you don't know any special techniques, if you're a mom and you're thinking, I have no idea what you're talking about, if you get this piece right, I promise, I promise the other things will fall into place. We have got to focus on -on one-on-one interaction with the child that we're working with. Now, if you're a therapist, You need to show moms and dads how to do it. And don't give me any of that consultative model, I can't touch a kid, I can't can't really treat a kid anymore. That is not what I'm talking about. A lot of parents do not know how play should look with a toddler and how interactions should look. They just don't. 
and they need to see it from somebody who is skilled at it. And that's our job in early intervention is to show moms and dads how to do it, to show parents how that's supposed to look. Again, if you're a mom and you're thinking, oh, I'm not quite sure what you're talking about. Maybe I know how to play. Maybe I don't. Oh, I'm confused. I've got a great DVD line so that you can see how play should look and how play-based language activities look with toddlers, and you can check that out. Or... You can talk to, if your child's in speech therapy already, talk to your child's therapist about that. Say, hey, I've been reading a lot and I've been hearing a lot about how important play is. How, how, does that, how should that look? What should I be doing? Do you have pointers for me? And as a mom, that can be terrifying to think that you'll ask your speech pathologist to critique you. But if they're not already doing that, let me just say this. You need to do some things differently than you've done. If what you were going to do were going to work, your child may be a little further along than he or she is. Now, that's not to say that I'm blaming a parent for when a child has a language delay. I absolutely am not. Most of the time, those kinds of things are not environmental, meaning that you didn't cause this because you haven't played with your child in the past or read to your child or talked to your child or let him watch TV or blah, 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 all those other things that you could blame yourself with, hey, (laughs) this show is not about that, okay? You need to make sure that from this point forward, you are doing everything you can in your best possible way to interact with your child, and playing is the place to start. And I forgot to say on this, most of the time the developmental issues that our child that have, the reason that they're not like talking, it really is neurologically based, meaning that something happened in their development either while you were pregnant or genetically how things came together. It's, it's just how your child was wired. So there certainly are things that we can do to change how a child learns, how a child interacts. But let me just say to you moms there, you, you're, it's not your fault kind of thing, again, is, more, is usually, like talking is usually more related to genetics and things that happened in utero or shortly after birth versus it's your fault that you haven't done enough, okay? So let's just kind of square that away. All right, back to this recommendation to play. If you're a mom and you're listening, and again, I'm saying that you need to get some feedback from your child's team. If you don't have a great relationship with your speech-language pathologist, this is certainly a place to start with saying, what pointers can you give me? Watch me do some of this stuff. And if you think I need, I can do something better, hey, tell me. Show, show me. Let me see you do it so I can copy you. So I can do it better when you're not here because let's just face it, guys. You moms, you're carrying the brunt of this, okay? Your therapist may be phenomenal, and I hope that he or she is, and I hope that you are getting all the information you need, but you are probably just seeing that person one or two hours a week. You've got to know how to do it all the rest of the time. And really, really, the children who make the most progress come from the moms and dads with their sleeves and say, hey, this is my baby. This is... This is up to me. I'm the person who's with my child the most. 
I've got to really learn this and get at this and do things differently so that we can have a different outcome here. Now, if you're a therapist, too, let me just say those things that I just said to moms who are listening, that's what moms on your caseload need to hear from you. That may be hard for you to say. You may not be comfortable with putting it as bluntly as saying to a mom, listen, the hard work here really is up to you. You know, I'm, I'm good at my job here. I can make a difference with your child in one or two hours a week or 30 minutes or two times a month or however often you see that kid. But helping a mom understand that the bulk of this really falls on her and on dad and grandma and babysitter and whoever else is intimately involved in this child's life Moms need to know that. So you have to figure out a way to share that information. And let me just say, again, back to this play piece, a lot of times parents think that they're doing enough and they won't know that they're not until, A, they see you do it and they think, wow, she is really good with kids. She is really good at her job. Or I've heard parents that say to me things like, hmm, if I worked as hard as you to get him to do that, maybe he would do that for me too. And then I do kind of want to go, yeah, that's the whole reason I'm here. (laughs) That's the whole point of this therapy thing so that you can see how to do it, locate it at home. Now, some parents will be able to watch you do it and make immediate changes and automatically think, wow, I'm coming nowhere near that. I've got to do things differently. Some parents will just think, well, that's how you do therapy, but there's no way I can possibly carry this over to my daily life that I'm not that kind of person, I can't play like that, this doesn't make any sense to me, I'm not, I don't have a degree in that. And again, you've got to help parents see that they can do the same kind of thing, that they have to do these things. And again, most of the time, this is going to start with that one-on-one back and forth that a parent will achieve with a child in play. Some parents will be able to watch you do it and then make the necessary changes, but some parents are going to have to be more structured about saying to them, this is what I want you to do when you play with him. These are some things that will really, really help during play. For some parents, it's just getting them to be disconnected from their devices long enough to know that they need to play. Or some parents, again, their daily, their daily schedules are so cram-packed, other children, jobs, commitments, uh, running a business, you know, anything that they may have to do, they may really not see that they're not doing very much one-on-one time with your child. And again, I think it's critical. I think it's just absolutely required. And we can tell parents, oh, do these kinds of things during your daily routines all day long. But really until, and again, this isn't for every toddler, but for most toddlers who are light talkers, until we really, really, really establish that play piece, we may not see very much progress. And you may not hear that from another another specialist, somebody else who specializes in early intervention, or or you certainly may not hear it from your state program because most of the time those folks are just so focused on we have to teach parents to do it and parents aren't going to stop and play. We have to just make sure they know what to do during snack time and bedtime and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Those things are important, but I'm just telling you from someone who has, has over 20 years' experience doing this, the parents who really understand and who implement that play piece get it faster. 
their kids make better progress or or you realize early on, man, this isn't even enough. And let me just say that will happen for some of the children that we see who are late talkers who have more global developmental challenges who also have gross motor issues going on, who also have severe sensory processing differences, who again uh, may have some cognitive delays. Those kinds of kids may struggle for a while, and you may think, well, this play piece is it really going to matter because they, I've got to I've got to get so many other things going. I get that, but let me just tell you, when we get the play piece going, and when we get parents to really, really, really learn how to interact one on one with their children. Even some of those other things get better because you can work more things in and you've already established that that interaction and that reason that we communicate. It always starts with two people. It always starts with the kid and whoever is there. And again, all this language stuff that we're going to talk about, the talking piece, the expressive piece, plus the other underlying supportive signs with receptive language and cognition. Guys, it all boils down to that that child being able to respond to another person, understand what they're saying, and then do their part to communicate back. So getting the play piece going is just absolutely critical. Now, again, if you're a mom and you need to see this and need to understand this, my DVD, Teach Me to Talk, starts with a whole section on how to be playful, how to look fun, how to, how to make a child want to pay attention to you. And that's where we start with kids. And it looks different even even for uh, babies in different developmental periods. You know, if it's an infant or if it's a child who's still not moving on his or her own uh, or a child who doesn't choose to move, say it's a kid who walks, but they're really pretty passive and really like to spend a lot of their time kind of plopped down, those kinds of kids really, really, really need that close um, attachment piece where you're holding them in your laps and you're doing social games. We talk about that a lot on this show, but things like patty cake and peekaboo and so big or doing little piggy with their feet or any little and down game that you could do on your lap or um, taking a poem like Humpty Dumpty. Remember that poem? Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty, a great fall and letting them fall through or row, row your boat or ride a little horsey. Any little game like that you could come up with. That's huge. That's huge. That one-on-one play to get that going where a child wants to be with you and connects with you and looks at you and stays with you. We have to get that piece going for other babies who've already mastered that uh, social piece, that engagement connected piece. They already know how to share that one-on-one experience with you in play. They light up. They get it. They like being with you. Those kids, you are ready to move on to toys. And so, again, for a baby that's not moving around very much, or a younger toddler, it really might mean that you are, um, again, always in their in their little space. So for them, that means getting down on the floor to play. And let me just say, don't discount the value in telling a parent to do that. I have gotten literally hundreds of emails that begin with, 
I didn't know I needed to get on the floor and play. Parents don't know that. And you might think, yes, they do. That's, that's going to be insulting if I suggest to them or if I ask them. Let me just say it's not. And, and I've made that mistake, guys. I've made that mistake where I haven't really talked to a parent about how to play or how play looks. And then weeks or, heaven forbid, months later, I realize, gosh, they still don't understand that they need to be on the floor playing with their kid just like I'm on the floor playing with their kid. And then when I make sure that parents get it and understand it, and I can't police that they do it, but I certainly can talk with them about it week after week after week after week. And when they finally get that and implement that, that makes a huge difference. And, again, I get emails every single week at teachmetotalk.com saying, we're finally down on the floor playing with her. Or I love it when a mom will email me and say, man, my kid likes playing with me so much now that I can barely get anything else done. And I just want to wrap my arms around that mom and say, you did it. You did it. Congratulations. That's where we want a kid to be. And, guys, that's how typically developing toddlers are. Parents can hardly do something on their own without a child wanting to be with them. That's normal. That's how kids learn. That's how kids learn how to understand what language means. And even before that, learn that all these words that we use are directed to them. And that over time they hear them and hear them and they make associations and connections and they finally start to learn what words mean. And, and that all starts with spending enough time with an adult who's talking. Now, some of our parents don't know how to talk to a child. They may ramble on and on and on and on. I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself. I'm not going to do that, I promise, in this show. But, again, when we when, – when, parents really specific directions about how to play and we they not only see us do it but we tell them some really specific things to do like I want you to get down on the floor um, I want you to sit right here together on this rug and these are some little things that he liked with me or these are your toys let's look at these toys and let me show you how to use them and let me give you some ideas of what you can do or a mom might say to you he really likes Thomas he only wants to play with Thomas the train and as the clinician you should be able to say fantastic we're going to start with what he loves and let me show you some things that you could do with that let's talk about how you can play with him too and how you can be included in this play and some parents again really will say to you as you're beginning therapy with their child well I didn't know all you can do this play I didn't know therapy looked like this. And you've got to really convince parents that play is how toddlers and young children learn everything, every single thing. And because we're so technologically dependent as a culture now, sometimes parents really do expect you to come in with um, apps and flashcards and uh, maybe recommend uh, DVDs that are for the child to watch because they think that it's going to be more instructional or look more like school or a class rather than they're going to learn from you during one-on-one -on -one interaction and play. And so, again, you've got to show a parent how to do it. You've got to be able to take what a child likes and put yourself there in that situation and then, again, join a child, meet him where he is, share the experience with him, and then help a parent learn how to do that too. Um, for toddlers who are busy, those kinds of kids really need you to be able to do their little movement routines with them. So if they like to run, you've got to chase them and catch them and tickle them and, and you know, 
throw them on the couch and throw them up in the air and do all those little things too and get their little bodies at a place where they are calm enough and focused enough and regulated enough that they can sit down and play with you. And again, for a toddler or a busy preschooler, play's going to look a lot different than what I described with the kids that, that maybe are a little more sedentary and who don't move as much. But you've got to get in there and you've got to figure out what this child likes to do and then do it and do it and do it and do it, and do it together so that it becomes shared. And you've got to make yourself really, really fun. And that leads us to the second tip which is we have to exude warmth and joy when we interact with a child. And again, you can't be checked out. You can't look like, as a language pathologist, that you are phoning in therapy from the car, is what I say, that you aren't really in it, that you aren't really totally 100% engaged. And let me just say, this, this attachment piece, this really letting yourself go and playing with a child is so exhilarating, even for you as an adult. And again, for those of you who are good with kids, you already know what I'm talking about. You get a real charge when you connect with a kid like that, and you like it, and that makes you want to do it more and more. And guess what? The kid responds. And mom and dad see that, and then they respond. And again, it's just a cornerstone piece. It's something we have to do. Sometimes people get in a more professional role, and we forget that our little clients are our babies and toddlers. And again, that one-on-one connection is so important, and we have to show parents how that looks. Now, children who are pretty disconnected or even antisocial, it may take them a little while to respond to that. And you may have to watch things like how loud you talk or how fast you move, you know, you may really set some of those kids off because you're so unpredictable and that scares them on some level or really alerts their their little fragile sensory system. So I'm not saying it's always about being loud or being so over the top, but you do have to be super, super connected and in the moment. And again, I think that warmth, peace cannot be overstated here. It is so important that you act like you love the child you're working with. And again, if you're a mom, you might be thinking, "Mm, why is she talking about this to professionals? It's so important. And again, no other population would getting this uh, one-on-one interaction and engagement piece be more important I think it's important for every kid that we see, every client that we see, even if we are someone who works with adults. But it's absolutely critical for our babies who are toddlers because they're first learning how to how to interact with other people and engage with other people and respond to other people. So we we have to do it. We absolutely do. For kids who don't struggle with this, it's going to be a lot easier. And again, if you are kind of an aloof person, if um, you're a speech pathologist who's been transplanted into this world of early intervention, this might be a little stretch for you. You might not be used to holding children in your lap and being physically affectionate. And I, I can see how you would do this job and not naturally want to uh, physically hold and touch and love on babies and toddlers and young preschoolers because, again, that's just part of that human interactive piece. And so don't be afraid to do that kind of thing. If, if And if it's foreign to you, the more you do it, 
the more natural it's going to feel. Now, if you're a mom, again, you're thinking, I don't know that I really want the therapist to have that close of a relationship with my child. Yes, you do, because that's the foundational piece. That's where we need to start. Again, it's establishing those one-on-one relationships uh, with the children that we are working with. And listen, let me just say, I've seen some moms who really, really struggle with this piece too. And if that's you, if you've been a highly kind of academic mom or I don't know, your mom who, again, you know you love your child with all that you are, but you struggle with this warm and fuzzy piece, it does get easier with time. I promise, I promise, I promise. You just have to uh, get in there and, and make it happen. And not every kid responds in the same way to every little strategy you might try. And as a therapist, that's what makes this job fun because you do get to be a little bit of a detective and discover what works for each individual child. And certainly if you're a mom, you know what your child likes. And so you need to do more and more and more of that. If she likes being hugged and close to you and snuggling, that's part of this. If she likes it when you wrestle around with her and throw her around and tickle her and chase her and uh, all those fun things we do, we have to do that. That's where we start. That's part of the play piece, and it helps us really, really connect with those kids too. Um, so there are some tips for that in the written version of this. I think we've talked about it enough so that you understand that you've got to, again, make it really look like you're enjoying yourself and having a fun, fun time. And if that's not completely natural, you can fake it. You can fake it until you get to the point where it feels a little more like this is how it's supposed to be and this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And again, if you need to see some examples of that, please check out my DVDs because there are so many good examples of that should look. All right, beyond playing and beyond really doing everything we can to establish that warm, genuine connection, what's the next thing we can do? Here's how we address what you do during, during this time. With children who are late talkers, we need to direct our language to the perfect point for where they are understanding what we say and getting a model or an example or some, the words they copy so that they can start to communicate too. So what that means is we're going to talk at or just above the child's current expressive language level. And for those of you who are not professionals and that sounded like, you know, Chinese to you or another foreign language, let me put down to this. Toddlers, even typically developing toddlers, usually understand a little more than they can say. Sometimes they understand a lot more than they can say. But let's go with it from here. They they usually understand more than they can say. Their receptive skills or comprehend language is at a, a level, a, at least a little bit, at least more than they can verbally communicate to you. Okay? So the theory here is if you have a child who is not talking at all, he or she needs to hear single words a lot of the time 
to be able to really get to the point that they can start to imitate you and say what you say. All right, we're going to talk about that imitation piece in just a little bit, but let's just, for, for right now, we're just focus on you as the adult, what you should do. And again, therapists, this is how you say it to parents. This is what you should be talking to your parents about. This is how you train a parent. This is how you teach a parent. You say the kinds of things that I'm saying now. And moms, you, again, I'm talking about what you are going to do while you're playing, while you're exuding all that warmth and joy. This is how you're going to talk to your child. <laughs> if he or she is nonverbal, you're going to use a lot of single words, meaning that if you are playing with the ball, you're saying, ball, whoa, ball, look, look, ball, ball. And again, you'll talk about other things you're doing. If you're throwing it, if you're chasing it, if you're kicking it, if you're bouncing it, whatever, you're going to put some other words in there too. But my point is, for a nonverbal child, a child who is not talking, they need to hear single words. And again, this puts them at a much better place to be able to start to say what you've said. If you're saying things like, oh my goodness, I love playing ball with you. Mommy just loves playing with you all day, every day. Let's chase this ball together. Are you ready? I'm going to throw it over here and I want you to run over there and get it and then you bring it back to mom. <sighs> Your child may be able to understand that. If he, he has good comprehension skills, he might be able to follow that. But as a general rule, we need to bring that way down so that a child would be able to have half a shot saying it. And if he's not saying anything, let me just say to you, he's not going to bust out with a big sentence. He's not. That's a myth. Children really don't go from being completely nonverbal one day to waking up talking in sentences the next day. It really doesn't happen like that, okay, not as a general rule. And again, some of you are saying, well, my mom said that my husband t didn't talk at all and just one day woke up and just started just, just giving big directions. Okay, yeah, whatever. I'm not going to say that didn't happen. <laughs> I'm just going to say my clinical experience with children who have bona fide speech-language delays has been that there is a period that they are quiet and then they become noisier and then we hear some single word approximations and they may be doing some jargon and some other longer things too that you may be able to interpret as a phrase or a sentence but you will always 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 hear single words start to develop and so we have to set the stage for that so that we are modeling we are saying we are using we are talking in those same kinds of single words so that they might have a shot at copying us. And again, it is hard if you are a chatty, social, talkative person to make yourself talk in single words. And I struggle with this every day and I've done this job for a long time. So it's a little it's a little bit hard at the beginning. And you as a mom, you need to say to speech pathologist, hey listen, I've heard this about simplifying language that I should be talking at one little level above where my child is currently talking. And so let's talk about using single words and how that would look and how that would sound. And I want you to do it for me so I can see how it should really be. And let me just say, there are going to be times, you, you can't just talk in single words all day, every day. That's completely unrealistic. But especially during your play time, that one-on-one -on -one play, and I forgot to talk about this when we were talking about the play piece. Sometimes a parent will say to me, how much do I play? What's 
what's a good starting point? Let me just say, the research says that children need 20 to 25 hours a week of engagement to make significant progress when they have really been socially disconnected and or non-communicators. So that's the, that's the research recommendation, 20 to 25 hours a week. Now again, you may be thinking, oh, my kid gets fat just because we're talking during bath and we're talking during supper and we're talking during, that might be very well true. A lot of times though with parents, I have to really start at the beginning and some parents are overwhelmed when they hear the 20 to 25 hour a week recommendation. And I have to, this is what I say. This is what I talk to moms and my clients about. I say, let's try to get 30 minutes of play, one-on-one play in the morning, uninterrupted. And if you can't go 30 minutes now, just try 10 minutes. (laughs) And then over time, we want to build up to where you've got that 30 minutes of uninterrupted one-on-one play time with mom or dad in the morning, 30 minutes sometime in the afternoon, and then again, 30 minutes later in the day. And that's an hour and a half. It's not, you know, I can't do math because I'm a speech pathologist. So I, over seven days, if you ended up with, you know, uh, the, again, I can't do math, 10 hours in a week, let's just say, if you end up with that, that's a lot better than either one hour it would have been at, at, if you had not had a mom measure this or think about this or do it. And, again, you're going to get that other time, that other one-on-one time at snack time, at bath time, at changing time if mom is doing a good job with that. But at the very least, they're going to get that one-on-one playtime. And I, I love that recommendation. And, again, it's been one that's really worked for parents of, of children on my caseload. So I like that. So back to what we're talking about. Children are going to hear language modeled in a more adult-like way today. So you don't have to worry about, oh, he's not going to hear adult models. Children really need adult models to talk. They're going to hear that anyway, but especially during that one-on-one playtime, if you can get moms to really talk at one little level above where their children are expressively, they'll be hitting that sweet spot more likely to make progress. And so for nonverbal children, that would mean that you're going to talk in single words a lot of the time playing together. For children who are using a few words, moms can bump it up a little bit. Single words plus some two-word phrases. For children who are using, you know, who are moving toward that phrase level, they may just do one or two little words beyond where their child is talking. And again, don't worry about saying to a mom or dad, but be sure you're still talking the regular way a lot of the day too because that's going to happen anyway. They're going to do that anyway. Nobody is able to do simplification all day long, every day. And let me just say, too, if a child has receptive language problems, this is even more important because we know that that child is not understanding language in a typically developing way. We know there's a problem there. There's a disconnect there with how a child hears what is said and how he's able to assign meaning, how he's able to, to know that the white stuff in the sippy cup is milk. And we've got to get moms to the point where they're labeling, 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 labeling with single words. So those children in particular really, really, really learn to understand. Now, some moms, again, overestimate what children understand. And that's very common. We've talked about that a lot on the show. Receptive language delays are easy to miss, so easy. So if you're a mom and you're thinking, well, my child understands everything or he gets a lot or she understands most of what I say, that's great. That very well may be true. But a lot of the times parents miss that their kids don't understand. So if you have even a hint, even a little rumbling in your gut right now with, oh, my gosh, that might be it, 
you in particular need to really simplify when you're talking to your child and, and use a lot of single words. So if you were eating, if you were eating um, snack right now and your child's eating goldfish crackers, you know, pick a word, pick what you're going to call it, cracker, fish, goldfish. You know, I probably wouldn't go with that because that's too hard for a new talker to say. But stick to that and use words like, you know, fish, mmm, fish, eat, mmm, let's eat, mmm, mm, mm, so yummy, yummy fish. And you were looking at the fish and you were pointing to the fish and you were maybe after you've done this for a while, you say to the child, where's your fish? Show me fish so that you know that he understands what you're talking about. And again, this sounds really simplistic to some therapists. You're thinking, Surely mom knows to do that. Guess what? She doesn't always know. You've got to model it for her, and then you've got to tell her to do it as part of what you know works. And again, let me just say, this isn't something that we've just kind of made up here in the year 2014. This is how we know children develop language. And let me just say this too. Oh, gosh, I wish I had this reference available. There's this fantastic TED Talk that you can look up on YouTube, and it was from a linguist who, again, not a speech-language pathologist, but somebody who specializes in learning words and language and how people develop their whole linguistic systems, that whole communication pattern we use. And he found in his research, he was so cool, he did it with his own child, and, excuse me, they put cameras throughout their whole house. I'll try to find a reference for this and talk about it next week's show. But cameras throughout the house, and so they had this child's life videoed 24-7 for the first two years, I believe. And they found in the research, this research, that just before a word emerged, the child heard it at the single word level over and over and over again. And that was a better predictor of when he used a word than anything else. And that's not earth-shattering scientific revelation, <laughs> but it's important, isn't it? Meaning that a child has to hear that single word over and over and over and over before he even has a shot at being able to produce it. So that's what we need to be talking to parents about. Again, on our show where we're focusing on resetting, on re-energizing, on boosting what we know how to do, revisiting how we talk to kids with language delays and how we teach parents to talk to kids with language delays is really a critical, critical starting point. So make sure you are addressing that and that you are teaching parents that and that you are sure that they, are, that they know how to talk to their child at least during that one-on-one -on -one play time. And it would be great, too, if it were during bath time, if it were during meals, if it were during changing. And I spend so much time with the children that I work with, with their parents, with talking through those routines. And if I feel like mom doesn't exactly know what I mean, when how to talk to a child during changing time, we do it. I'll say, well, Next time you're going to change his diaper, if he's wet, let's just check in. And I'll, I'll, you do the changing, but I'll tell you how I would talk about it. And I'll tell you what I would say. And that's valuable time for moms to hear that. Or if you're doing snacks and food during therapy, moms seem to hear that and you say, listen, this is the kind of thing I want you to say with him during snack time too. Don't just pour you know, a whole bowl of goldfish and walk away. <laughs> that's, yeah, he needs to eat it, but don't miss your time 
to really work on language and work on the things that we're doing here in therapy. You know, you need to figure out ways to incorporate this into your everyday life, and snack time is a perfect way to do it, and let me show you how I would do it. It really should look a lot like it's looking here in therapy. And, guys, since we have all these fancy phones now, you can really have mom video some of those things, and you can sit and watch that together, and you can say, I always start with the positive. <laughs> that was good. Here's what I love that you did. And talk about all those things, and we're going to talk about some more of those those other things that you can mention. But one of the things that you need to constantly focus is let's listen to how you talk to him, not just focus on how he talked or how he responded, but let's start with you. And let's look at what you're saying and look at how long the sentences are that you're using, and let's think about how we could simplify that so that your child has a better shot being able to imitate you. And again, it's critical, critical, critical information to address the way that our parents are learning to talk with children who are like talkers. All right, next tip, tip number four. And in the article I say, repetition is the mother of skill, or as your mother would have said it, practice makes perfect. So we have to only simplify with single words when we talk to children. We have to repeat. Repetition is so important to make sure that a child learns, he remembers, he understands that word, and he has to hear it over and over and over again. This speaks to the point that I just talked about, the study that I talked about, where the linguist said, just before a child, his own child, who was typically developing, began to use words, the word was always modeled or or he heard it, somebody else said it to him, over and over and over at the third level. So the point that we just talked about, using a lot of simplified language or single words for nonverbal kids, plus being repetitive. So you can't just say ball a time or two and then think a child can say it. And you sure can't say, here's the ball. What's this? Tell me. You turn. You talk. You say it. A better way to do that would be just saying ball over and over. And again, you can change your intonation. You can, you shouldn't really just say ball, 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 ball. That's not, that's not good either. <laughs> the child will that out. That will sound like the dryer noise in the background. But he should hear the word trying to get him to say many, 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 many times. And that's a the principle of neuroplasticity, I'm doing some new work on a project with how our, how our brains learn. And, and, and again, this is across the lifespan, but it's particularly for children who have language delays. This birth to three window and birth to five is critical because children learn more during this developmental period than, than oh my goodness, we can't even really document all the things that a young child is learning during this very, very exciting, important, time of brain development. Um, but for a child to learn, he's got to see and hear the same things more than just a couple of times for him to be able to synthesize that information and connect it and for his little brain pathways to fire and for him to really, again, understand and make the connection to the word that he's hearing and then be able to say it back to you. So you've got, he's got to hear that same word over and over and over and over. When he gets to the point of talking, he's also got to say it over and over and over to really own that word, to really master it. But for right now, we're really talking about what a what an adult should do. So 
you've got to make sure that you are saying the word that you eventually want your child to say. Many key piece of research that Dr. Caroline Bowen, who is a speech pathologist from Australia, says. She says, a child has to hear what we want him to say, what our target is, what our goal is, three to four minutes a day. Or he's got to hear it 12 to 18 times over the course of like three to four minutes. And so as you're playing with him, playing with the child, you may not get, be getting anything from the child. So what you need to be tracking is how many times you say it to the child. So if you are playing uh, bubbles, he's got to hear the word bubble. Bubbles, whoa, bubbles, see, see those bubbles? How many times did I say that there? Four or five times? He's got to hear that word bubble over and over and over and over and over again. And not just one time, not just Tuesday at 11 o'clock when he gets his speech therapy. He's got to hear it time after time after time for him to be able to understand it and then then produce that word back to you. Um, there's, there's so many studies that say, you know, a child, how many, that really try to determine how many times a child has to hear a word before he can use it. And let me just say, if your child has a delay or has a really specific, say, speech delay like, or speech disorder like apraxia, he's got to hear it and then say it again like, you know, multiplied exponentially more than a child without that particular issue. So the whole repetition piece has just got to be a foundation. It's got to be a central part of your treatment plan. And again, it's, it's, it starts with monitoring how repetitive and how good the adult is with modeling the target word long before we get to the kid being able to say it. But it's important on both ends. So the kid has to hear it from the parent, from the therapist, and then when he does begin to talk, he has to be able to do that, uh, to uh, repeat over and over and over too so that he really masters that word and can use it and can use it anytime he needs it and doesn't struggle to remember it or struggle to pull it out of that little brain and send that little message all the way to his mouth. And again, that's a really simplified way of thinking about word production, but that's exactly what it is. He's got to find that little word in his stored bank of words send that little message, fire that little impulse to his mouth, and then his mouth has to be able to produce it. And that's how I explain it to parents. And, again, it's a really simplified way. You know, goodness knows we spent years learning all of those complex processes, but parents don't understand it like we understand it. So we have to, to break it down and summarize it in a way that makes sense to them. So here we are. We're at the, we, we got through four tips today, and that's okay because this is our our series for this fall with, with summarizing what really, really works. And let's just review the four that we used today. We talked about first we're going to play, we're going to get really fun, and our, our catchphrase here is play, 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 and then when you're tired of all that, we're going to play some more. We're going to teach parents that that one-on-one -on -one time is important. Whatever they can get several times a day, if it starts out 10 minutes a day, two times a day, the next week I hope parents can get 10 times a day, three times a day, and then the next week they can play 15 minutes a day for three times a day, and so on and so on and so on until they're really getting 
logging lots and lots of one-on-time. Our second tip was we're going to teach parents how to exude warmth and joy so that it looks like fun, so that this is it gives them the reason to communicate and the reason to connect and the reason to share that experience. We want to help parents learn how to help their children enjoy those experiences too. Our third tip and fourth tips deal with how we talk to the child. We're going to talk at or just above his current level. So that means if a child is not talking at all, lots of single words. If he's doing a few little single words, we'll still use a lot of single words and occasionally throw in a little short phrase and so on and so on so that we need a child where he is developmentally and we're talking again at a level where he can hear what he needs to say and to address any comprehension issues that a young child might have. The last tip we talked about today was how important repetition is. So we have to repeat enough for a child to understand, and then we have to give the child opportunities to repeat words, new words that he says, often enough for it to... um, be a word that he can readily say any any time that he needs to say it. And if you want to see the written version of this, remember you can go to teachmetotalk.com and look at those look at that article this week. What works? Strategies that help toddlers learn how to talk. I will be posting this show on teachmetotalk.com too a little later today. It'll be in the middle section in the podcast section, and I'll have the link to that article too. So next week we're going to pick back up, talk about this same topic, uh, but I hope that you'll really think about these principles. If you're a therapist this week, you're going to really focus on teaching these things to parents. You're going to really focus on making sure that you are doing those four things. Those are the four things you'll measure and think about and talk about and mull over as you're driving to your next appointment or waiting for the next kid to come to you. And then uh, you'll be explaining that to parents. If you're a parent, I want you to really think about this show. You may have to listen to it another time or two. And that's what's perfect about these kinds of shows. You can listen as often as you need. And read the summary. If you're a reader and if visual information, if you process something that you read better than something that you hear, you probably haven't stuck with this show. But if you, by chance, you're a visual learner, get the written article. Take a look at that. And you may have it this week for your therapy time. You may present this to your therapist and say, I want to talk about this. I want to, I want to make sure that I'm understanding this right. And you, it is perfectly fine for you to direct a therapy session in that way and for you to begin a conversation with your speech pathologist about what you're working on. If that's too uncomfortable for you, just keep doing your own thing. Hang in there with your mommy therapy. And these four things that we talked about today and the other six things on this list, if you do nothing else for your child, I promise, I promise this will make a difference and your child will be in a better place than when you first started to uh, think about these things and first started on your gaining information to help your child learn to talk. All right. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for joining me. I absolutely love hearing feedback about the show. So if you want to send me anything, email me at laura at teachmetotalk.com. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Have a great week. Bye-bye.